0: Okay, so as promised, we know we've been promising this for a while. We've had some uh, recording disasters, if you want to call them that. Uh, But today, we're going to get into it once again. Talk about the Pacific Division, which is very intriguing this year because, first of all, you've got some much improved teams like the Oilers, who actually are not bad this year so far and then you've got other teams going the opposite direction. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the same three clinching playoff spots in this division. So, I mean, before we get into it, what are your thoughts on the hot starts for the Oilers and the Ducks, Matt?
1: Well, I'll admit I was caught a bit off guard by Edmonton. I think you and I both, and a lot of the hockey world has. To be fair, with a team with... Connor McDavid and Leon draisaitl you never really can count them out of any game. But the Edmonton Oilers, it just seems like they finally have found a way to click again like they did a couple years ago when they last made the playoffs. Connor McDavid is doing Connor McDavid things, of course. And what I really am liking at Edmonton right now, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, as most hockey analysts have, is that James Neal really seems to have found a home in Edmonton. He struggled in the limited ice time he got in Calgary last year. And there were some real questions about whether he would be able to transition over to Edmonton. But it seems now that he's playing with guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl that he's found a home there. And he's, had, he's been really hot to start the season. And I think Mike Smith is doing what Mike Smith does. He's a very consistent goaltender. I wouldn't say he's one of the most underrated goaltenders in the league, but in my opinion, he's one of the most solid goaltenders in the league, at least over the past five years. I, and, I, and he's played on some pretty rough teams.
0: And yeah, no, he, he's, I agree with that. He's definitely always been a capable goalie. The the key with a guy like Smith today, if you use him properly, which they have been doing, you know, they've been using him and Koskinen in kind of a tandem that's where he flourishes and if you're able to keep his games low hey maybe they even make the playoffs you saw what he did in the playoffs for Calgary this past year he was unbelievably good so again that's that's looking ahead but one thing I really like about Mike Smith is he he's got great style for a goalie he has different pads for each uniform that Edmonton wears how cool is that
1: it is really cool I don't know if you've seen the mask he's wearing for tomorrow's game where they're debuting actually it might be tonight off to double check but they're for the next game they're wearing their new alternate jerseys that they showed off this off season. he's got a I'm not a big fan of those jerseys full disclosure but I really like the mask that He's made for it. I'll have to uh, find the tweet and I'll retweet it on the center ice Twitter for those of you that are interested because I think you're right. Mike Smith is one of those guys that really likes the style. And I like it when I really like goldie masks. It's one of the few areas in the NHL where you can really, as a player show off your style, your expression things like that. There's all sorts of great goalie masks out there. You and I could probably have a whole conversation on some of the best goalie masks if we really wanted to.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I love I love a goalie with style. Absolutely. I, I The thing I don't like about goalies is if they wear these, you know, generic, not, not very interesting pads. But at the same time, if it's a goalie that I really like or he's really good. Like, for example, Carey Price's current pads. They're very... Very basic, but he's had some some cool pads here and there uh, throughout his career. But anyway, I mean, like, just as we're starting this episode, it, it would be fun to look back at the standings as they are right now just for fun because, I mean, your top three teams – sorry, well, top four, if you want to call it that, are Buffalo, Carolina, Edmonton, and Colorado.
1: Well, to be fair, a couple of those teams, we were, we could see them being at the top, but for Edmonton and Buffalo, and we'll get into Buffalo later with our Atlantic preview. I don't think anybody saw Edmonton and Buffalo being off to the hot starts that they are. And that's what you got to love about the NHL as a whole. You, you and I both agreed off the top of our very first prediction episode with the Metropolitan Division, that look, we're based off last season. The moves that these teams have made and the players and the t- directions they're heading, we'll try and make as best of an educated guess as, pos- as possible. But that's what it is; it's a guess. The NHL is so predictably unpredictable, and that's what makes it so much fun as a hockey fan.
0: Yeah, and you know it's early, but you know some of these things that these teams are doing are are quite real. But you know before we. Uh, talk about the division. I wanted to quickly talk about the Anaheim Ducks because we'll talk about them more as we get to them in this show. But, you know, Anaheim, you know, there's no way around it. They had a terrible year last year. They were one of the laughing stocks of the league. And, you know, Anaheim has something that not a lot of teams have and that's elite goaltending. Not only with your starter, but with your backup is, is pretty good with Ryan Miller. And what Anaheim has done is really just kind of embrace a bit of a youth movement. You know, you haven't really made any big moves. There were thoughts of maybe trading for a Justin Falk, and they decided, nope, we'd rather hang on to our young player, really good young player, by the way, and Andre Kasha. Silverberg looks better. Uh, you know, they let go of a guy like Corey Perry. They're younger, they're faster, they're more skilled. And you're seeing the results, and not only are they scoring, but they're keeping the puck out of their net. Only 12 goals against so far, currently third in the Western Conference.
1: Yeah, Anaheim, uh, you and I have talked about them over the offseason, and we we both agreed that if Anaheim takes a bit of a youth movement, and that's what they've done here, that we could very well see the results come sooner rather than later. And... We're we're seeing that with Anaheim. You mentioned the goaltending, Ryan Miller and John Gibson. Really, I think that's one that could be one of the best tandems in the league if they stay healthy and consistent. And based off both goalies' history, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't continue to be consistent. And of course, the the scoring's been there. The defense has been there. You mentioned Silverberg, and I remember watching Silverberg in his very early days here in Ottawa. And he was a yeah. he was a very okay. solid player here in Ottawa. And I know Bobby Ryan, well, he's Bobby Ryan, but there, there were some people, not many, but there were people in Ottawa who said, look, we've got a bit of a, a gem here in Silverberg. And ever since he's gone to Anaheim, in my opinion, he's really blossomed into one of their best players. And he's been that for a few years now. And currently he leads the team in points, and yeah, it's early on, but I don't see any reason why that won't continue. Of course, you mentioned casa as well, and the the big thing is, is they're a very young team all things considered.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, we talked about this in our last show, but I don't really think tanking is fun for players, and I think last year, a lot of those guys just did not have the kind of season they wanted to have. I mean, if you just look at some of the totals from last year, it's crazy to think that all these good players on Anaheim had such down years.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. And just looking at all their top players, they've really stormed out of the the gate. Uh, you and I have mentioned Silverberg and Casa, but don't forget, uh, Henrik's been off to a good start. He's got four goals, one assist, through the first seven games and Raquel's been off to a good start as well. A couple helpers with three goals to go with that really if when you look at the Anaheim ducks in their roster, they, they've had a lot of support from the top of the roster to the very bottom of the roster. And I think that's what makes them so dangerous, especially if they can keep it going.
0: Yeah, like you know, I mentioned last year was just a struggle for them. Ryan Getzlaf was their leading scorer, sixty-seven games played, forty-eight points. And then next up, you have Silverberg, like we mentioned, and Ricard Raquel, and then Henrique. But then you go down the list, and it just gets it. They just didn't score enough goals. Nick Ritchie, thirty-one points. Lindholm, twenty-eight. Montour, twenty-five. He's now on Buffalo. Cam Fowler. 23, Kasha 20, really just not enough production. And I think they saw that They They decided, like we said, let's move on from a guy like Corey Perry. We don't need him anymore. And they're a lot younger now. They're a lot faster. And Randy Carlisle, as much as you can criticize him as a coach, when he gets his defensive system right and the players buy in, you see the results, so we'll see if it continues, but a really good story early on for the Anaheim Ducks.
1: Yeah, a really, really good story early on, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can continue what they've done early on. Of course, we've got a long season ahead of us, and I think that... Anaheim will still have some growing pains to come. as we, you and I have both mentioned. they're still a very young team and they're going have they're going to have to learn throughout the season, but they are in a good position early on to potentially make a run at a playoff spot and maybe even the division if they keep at the hot pace they are on.
0: Yeah, for sure. So like we said, you know, at the top of the division last year we had the Calgary Flames. And they had an interesting offseason, to say the least and you know we're not gonna um, the word I'm looking for it's it's fair it's very simple for Calgary I mean they got smoked the first round of the playoffs against Colorado and and I think Colorado was a better team than they thought they were and they really hit their stride as down the stretch of the season into the playoffs. But still, I mean, they just got absolutely dominated. Their top forwards did not show up, and they made some changes. I mean, I think the biggest surprise was, obviously, the James Neal trade. I mean, worst year of his career for Lucic. One for one, no salary retained. And remember, Neal's a 10-time 20-goal scorer, and he had 40 once with the Penguins in a career. He's already off to a good start in Edmonton and Calgary is a little bit of a shaky start to the season, but I think perhaps for me, at least the more interesting thing was that they did not try to upgrade the goaltending. I mean, really they just kind of signed Cam Talbot as the backup and you've got Riddich. I just don't know if that's enough. And you know, the flames are one of those teams that, they're kind of like the National Predators where you know they're good, but, you know, come playoff time, are they really that much of a threat? I don't know.
1: Yeah, you raised some really good points there. Uh, I think Calgary, uh, they did make some interesting moves over the offseason. Hey, Calgary going into the playoffs last year really was intriguing in my mind because Calgary, I think, I think you are right. They did underestimate the avalanche, but from looking at what the avalanche did down the stretch, you really think Calgary should have been more prepared. And one of the main critiques people who watch the Flames night in and night out would say is that our stars are great during the regular season. Guys like Monaghan, Kachuk, Goudreau, these guys will be your goal scorers, your point getters, These guys are really good during the regular season. But it's almost become a bit of a running joke in Calgary now that these guys can't perform in the playoffs. And we really saw last year, uh, all three of those guys that I just mentioned had really rough playoffs Mm. by their standards. And it, it really hurt their team. And let's not forget, Calgary's, all at least for the past three, four, maybe even five years, my opinion: Calgary's been a real top six-heavy team, and I find their their depth is okay, but it's not enough to really go deep in the playoffs. And when and j- if you just take a look at Calgary's stats right now, I I think I can back that up. Look at the points leaders: you got Gaudreau, Kachuk, Lindholm, Giordano, Monahan. Those are your those are your top guys, and then there's a bit of a drop off to everyone else. Derek Ryan's had a decent start to the year with four points, but then after that everyone else has got two. So what does that tell you about Calgary? It tells you that these are the guys that will get you the points, that will get you the goals. And I think that besides the goaltending, that's what really hurts Calgary. And Calgary, I can see why they want to bring in a guy like uh bring in a guy like Lucic for that depth. But as you mentioned, James Neal, consistent 20-goal scorer, had a bit of an off year last year, trade him for Lucic with no salary retained whatsoever. It's just an odd move looking at what Calgary needs, and they need scoring depth.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... The thing about scoring depth is it's really tough to acquire. A lot of times, you really find a guy in free agency. You give him a short term contract and it really pays off for you or you risk, you know, some assets in a trade for a guy you feel like can really help out that bottom six. You know, the thing with Calgary is they had to get Kachuk signed and that was a lot of money. And obviously you're you're exchanging a lot of money with Lucic for Neil. So I don't know if they really um kind of had room to do that because remember these days like these bottom six forwards they're not making such little money anymore a lot of them are making you know two three million dollars sometimes four so it's tough for them to fit it under the salary cap but you know with that being said I think you make a great point I think Calgary's top six is as good as anybody's in the league but when you get past that I mean you do have a guy like you know Michael Backlund uh, you have some intriguing guys, you know, Sam Bennett brings energy. You mentioned Derek Ryan, but if the depth down the middle just isn't quite there. And I think the scoring in the bottom six isn't quite there either. So basically what happens come playoff time is you rely on your top six to really get all the goals and, Your defense has always been good. The Calgary defense has always been good. But I think more than anything what happened last year, and I don't know if you agree with this, I think they were exhausted. I think they won the division, and they had a great year. But they went in, and they played an avalanche team full of energy. They were healthy. They were young. And they got absolutely run out of the building.
1: I can personally agree with you on that. I I do agree that fatigue certainly played a part in that. But at the same time, if you're a player and a member of the coaching staff, you you have to think, okay, well, we've got a lock on the division at this point. We're going to arrest our players. We're going to make sure that we're all ready and healthy. And compared to some other teams going into the playoffs last year, I considered Calgary as one of the more healthy teams. I thought that if Calgary got continued to go the way things were going. They could have gone deep into the playoffs. But I, I think a bit of uh, underestimating your opponent went in there as well because, of course, the avalanche squeaked in. They were a last-week clincher, and they had to fight heart, er, tooth and nail just to get in. And, and you and I know full well that those teams can be some of the most dangerous. They've been playing playoff hockey for two to three weeks if not more, and just look at the Blues. The Blues, when they got into the playoffs last year, were already already in a playoff mindset. They, made it, they they weren't rested, but they were ready to go. They knew what they needed to do. Look at Columbus as well. Teams that squeak into the playoffs can be some of the most dangerous because they've got this mindset of, we've been playing for our lives for the past three, four weeks. It's not any danger different now that we're in the actual playoffs. And I think if you're a team like Calgary that's gone to the top of the division and have been there for most of the year, you can't underestimate that. And you got to be willing to match that intensity and tempo. And I think that going into the playoffs last year, Calgary could have done a better job in preparing to play the Avalanche.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also a great point. But if I was their management, if I was Brad Tree Living, I would just make improving the bottom six and depth a huge priority, you know, going into the trade deadline. Um, as these weeks roll on, you never know when a player comes up that might be of interest. You, we've heard Josh Hosang's name thrown around because it sounds like he wants out of the Islanders, he just wants a change of scenery. He's had a tough start to his NHL career, you know, maybe that's a guy you're interested in. But, you know, I I think when teams look at the Calgary Flames, they see what it is. They see a team that has a great top six, you know, pretty good defense, about average goaltending. The bottom six is lacking, and the center depth is lacking. So it'll be interesting to see what they do if they have another – you know, early round exit this year, you know, I would have to imagine that ownership will and management will make some changes.
1: Yeah. I think uh, that for Calgary, the, they've got a decent sized window here, but if your ownership and management, you want to start seeing results in enough of these one and done playoff appearances. And I think if you're a player on the flames, especially a guy like a Goudreau or a Kachak, you know these guys are very competitive guys, and they want to see their team go farther, and I think it'll be a bit more of a struggle this year for Calgary, and this may sound a bit, a bit odd, but I think that may almost be a benefit to Calgary because, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you're going to be fighting for every win, you're going to fight for your playoff spot, and you're going to have that intensity and tempo already... That when you get into the playoffs and that can be a real benefit
0: yeah and, and it, it, I don't think it'll be anything too major I think it'll be a case where you just kind of move around some guys um, get some new faces in the lineup uh, you probably you're probably keeping your core guys like Gaudreau, Monahan, Kachuk I don't think those guys are going anywhere uh, Lindholm seems to be a really good fit with Calgary but You know, then there's other guys, you know, maybe you look at trading a guy like Backlund, you know, maybe TJ Brody's on the move. I mean, you've got players that teams are interested in. And I think the Flames are at the point right now where they're a sure contender and they should be willing to give up, you know, draft picks. You know, maybe they're aggressive at the trade deadline when a big name pops up. It'll be really interesting. But, you know, they've had a really tough run. Obviously, they lost in the Stanley Cup Final in 2004, and they went on a great run that year. They lost first round in 2006, lost first round in 2007, lost first round in 2008 and 2009, and 2015, they lost in the conference semifinals. 2017, lost first round, and of course last year, lost first round. I mean, that's a lot of, early exits for the Flames.
1: Absolutely. And if you're a Calgary fan like I am myself, it's frustrating to see a team with such good talent like Aginla and Faneuf and Giordano, Monaghan, Kachuk, so on and so forth, and team only making it the first, occasionally the second round. It's tough to see. And I know you as a Leaf fan can attest to that with what ha- has happened the last couple years in Toronto it's fr- yeah, sure it's, can. it's quite frustrating especially when you find yourself at the culprit of similar teams like for Calgary really the ducks were one of their big a big thorn in their side remember Calgary had a historic losing streak at the Honda Center I think it was 23 or so. Some odd straight losses at the Honda Center, which is just incredible when you think about it. It's not like Ottawa or Toronto going to Los Angeles and where they lose a few in a row in the Staples Center. You only play there once a year, but Calgary and Anaheim play four times a year and two of those are in Anaheim. So it's just incredible to think about that as a hockey statistic
0: all right so let's wrap up on calgary here where do you see them finishing in the division I
1: year? see them I see them finishing about where they are right now they're in fourth right now four three and one they're right behind Vegas for the third spot I see them finishing somewhere in that range third or fourth whether whether the fourth spot is a playoff spot that's a tough call especially since as you and I've talked about the Central division is really quite heavy in terms of competition this year, so I th- I think that there's a good chance Calgary can make it in, but there's no guarantee.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I feel as good about them as I did last year. I mean, last year I think you and I both had them as a surefire playoff team. Uh, I don't think we had them winning the division, but we had them, you know, winning one of those three spots. And they did. This year I don't know. I just I look at what the Ducks and the Oilers are doing and the changes that have been made to, you know, the Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights and I'm gonna say they finish in that three four range. You know, they might even finish four. It really depends how this season goes on and I I think It'll be really interesting to see where they are at the halfway point of the season and how they're playing. I think we'll really start to see if this team is better than they were last year. the
1: The funny thing here is that if you were to ask me a couple weeks ago, would Calgary be in the playoffs? I would say absolutely yes, because you and I were of the mindset a couple weeks ago that, look, the Pacific Division is super weak it's going to be the same three playoff teams going to be all five going to be five playoff spots in the central you and i were of that belief and we had good reason to think about it considering the competition but seeing how anaheim edmonton vancouver and arizona to a certain extent have started the season i'm not so sure anymore
0: yeah and i think that's that's good for hockey. You don't want the same three teams winning a playoff spot every year. You want some competition like you have, you know, the central, the Atlantic, you want that kind of competition in every division. And, uh, yeah, I think that will just about do it for the Calgary flames. And then we'll talk about another team. Who's had a tough start, a lot of big changes and that's the San Jose sharks.
1: Yeah. The sharks, uh, I'd say one of the more aggressive off seasons. Of course, they go and sign Eric Carlson to a long-term deal. Pavelski is out, and weren't sure we weren't sure if Joe Thornton was going to come back for a while. He ultimately did. Really, the same core is there, minus Pavelski. And of course, recently they've brought back Patrick Marleau, who's been off to a really good start of the first two three games in his return as a Shark.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm I'm happy to see him back in San Jose, and I was, you know, very happy to see him come to Toronto and mentor some of these young guys. I think he's really taught them a lot, and remember, they're still really young, you know, they're 22, 23, they still have a ways to go with maturing and, you know, getting into their prime, etc., but, you know, he really took on kind of a, I would say, a quiet leadership role, where he just... You know, he had a good first year with the Leafs, and then the last you know, couple weren't the greatest. But at the same time, you know, it's possible that when this deal was signed, when they gave him that extra third year, they had a discussion. It's possible you're not going to be with us for that third year, and, you know, we'll do our best to get you on a team you'd like to be on. And he probably agreed to that because... You know, it, it's tough to turn down two years in Toronto with a with a really good team. But I'm happy to see him back in San Jose. And I think I was I'm very puzzled by the start by San Jose because, well, like you said, yeah, they lost Joe Pavelski, and that's you know a big loss. He was their captain for 13 years. Um, and all of a sudden you give that to Couture. But really, like three and four to start the season, just six points for San Jose. And I think what's more troubling is 18 goals for and 24 goals against. So a negative goal differential. And and I mean, they're not the only team like that has had a really bad start. I mean, the Dallas stars not in the same division, but they're one six and one. I mean, the new Jersey temples are one, four and two. Like, there's a lot of teams struggling right now. So San Jose certainly not the only one. But with that being said, I mean, I, I don't know how much more we can say about San Jose because you kind of know what they are, right? I fully expect them to turn this around. And knowing Doug Wilson, if they don't, don't be surprised if he listens on some of his players come trade deadline.
1: Well, and then... To give credit to San Jose, they've turned it around rather quickly. Uh, me, a few days ago they hadn't won a game and now they're 3 and 4. They've won a they're on a three-game winning streak and they they've looked pretty good doing it. They seem to have a uh, potentially turned a corner. Tomorrow night at 10:30, I'm really excited for this one. Mm-hmm. They're playing the league leading Buffalo Sabres, something we haven't said since probably oh six oh seven. if you got if you really think about it, I'll have to go and look at the stats later, but now now, as
0: much as, as much as it's a great start for Buffalo, remember guys, they did this last year, just saying, and it is a different team and it is a different coach. And I think they are much better than they were last year. But just remember, this is almost exactly how the season started for them last year. I don't know. I've
1: seen. They were, but I think, from what I've seen from Buffalo, I, I don't want to get too into Buffalo because we've got a whole episode devoted to the Atlantic coming up. But from what I've seen from Buffalo, I've seen more consistent scoring. The goaltending seems to be better. They seem to have found a system that works for them. And, yeah, it's early on. But I think they have seem to have finally found a, a system in a way that benefits guys like, like Eichel and... And Darlene, and they seem to be, everyone seems to be getting involved. I really like what I'm seeing from Buffalo, and I really hope they keep it going because Buffalo fans have been suffering for a long time, and just based off what's going on right now, I think that Buffalo-San Jose game tomorrow night will be quite good. You've got two teams with solid with solid young players on both sides, you've got some veterans on both sides, and I think it's a, it'll be a key game for both teams. So a good early season matchup for both sides.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think I've got them finishing in a playoff spot in division. You know, I think it doesn't really matter that they got off to a slow start. They're just such a good team that it would be impossible to see them not in the playoffs. I mean, the only way personally I could see them not make the playoffs this year is if they just have a rash of injuries. They're just... You know, they've been a contender for the last 10, 15 years. They're just good every single year.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think San Jose is one of those teams. They're like they're like Pittsburgh to an extent. You could say, well, maybe this won't be the year they make the playoffs. But with the talent that they've got, you can never really count them out. I see San Jose making it into... The playoffs this year, I can see them. As, I don't see them any lower than three, in my opinion. But I don't see—I don't know if I see them winning the division this year. I think that's going to be a real fight mm, to the end this yeah. year. But a, a two or three is where I've got them.
0: Yeah, I've got them at two. Um, oh, I'll talk about who I think is about to win the division. <laughs> They're the next team. Oh well, talk you about.
1: and I—I uh, I think this is a. It's going to be a division pick you and I can agree on.
0: Oh, well, there you go. So let's... The only... Just before we move on,
1: uh, I just want to say, I think Martin Jones is going to turn around. He's been a bit shaky to start the season. But Aaron Dell is the backup. Uh, I think that he's got to turn things around. Only an 84 save percentage It's not good enough. So I think...
0: Well, the, the one thing about backups is... You know they're not that difficult to get. So if Arundel's struggling, they could probably bring someone else in if they wanted to. Oh yeah, but we'll see. But it'll be interesting. I mean, it's you... only a
1: minor concern to me at the moment. It's just if Martin Jones gets hurt, and as you, I think that's where you and I both agree is the only way San Jose doesn't make. Oh my, inter-
0: yeah, that would be really bad if that happens.
1: Well, here's the thing. Ottawa mm-hmm. has San Jose's first overall pick this year. So as much as <laughs> I love a lot of the players on San Jose and I would I wish them all the best from an from my Ottawa perspective and this is just for my Ottawa perspective. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing them miss out because I would love a higher draft pick. But that's my Ottawa fandom speaking. My hockey fandom is saying, I'd like to see the Sharks finally do something this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. And then we, So the next team we're going to talk about is their, their arch rival and one of the better rivalries in the NHL today, the Vegas Golden Knights. So Vegas going into year three in the NHL and, you know, almost... Not quite the same team they have as last year, and they're a little bit short on depth on defense, but really still a very good team. Uh, of course, you've got Mark Stone, uh, one of our favorites, leading the team in points right now with 11. They they did have Cody Glass on the line with him and Max Pacioretty, but ultimately Paul Stastny was moved back to that line. He has responded. Since being there, the biggest concern I have right now with Vegas is defensive depth. I mean, Nate Schmidt is injured right now, and you've got, you know, you've got a decent defense with Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, guys like that. But it's not a lot of depth, and it's very thin, in my opinion. And, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury is always going to be good. He's Mr. Reliable in net and Malcolm Subban had a really down year last year so far this season he has not been good but he's only had one start and that was uh you know 857 save percentage he only played one period so that I think that's the biggest thing for me with this Vegas team is what do they get from Malcolm Subban because you cannot have a situation where you're overworking Marc-Andre Fleury because you can't rely on Malcolm Subban. And right now, that seems to be the case, as much as they did not want it to be.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think that, uh, look, Marc-Andre Fleury is going to do Marc-Andre Fleury things. I saw that firsthand uh, late last night, Sens and uh, Gold Knights, I'd say one of the better games of last night. Highlights, if you haven't seen them, I don't often recommend going to watch highlights, but both the Sens and the Knights put on a pretty good show last night. It was a real entertaining game. And Marc-Andre Fleury saved his team twice in overtime last night, and they were incredible stops. And ultimately they went on to win the shootout. So Marc-Andre Fleury, just based off last night's performance, I'm not concerned about him at all, but the question is, how how many games is he going to carry this year? Because he's 35 years old, which is still relatively young, but he's creeping up there. And yeah, yeah. And you and I, and I'm sure Vegas management and coaching staff would agree that we can't keep him in net for 60 plus games this year. We can if we have to, but but it you doesn't, don't I mean, want
0: to, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: If you ask Gerard Gallant, he he'll say, "Look, I don't want flowers and net for 62 games. He could do it. He we've seen it. But if we can get Subban to just be average for the Vegas Golden Knights, that makes a huge difference. I think yeah. if, and this is my honest opinion, I think if Vegas didn't rely on Flurry as much as they did the first year and to be fair, it was kind of expected to, that was going to be the case. I think particularly in the playoffs, I think that the golden Knights, I don't know. I don't think they would have won the cup, but I think they would have pushed it to an extra game or two because remember how much work Fleury got during those playoffs. And I think if mm-hmm. Malcolm Subban or who, whoever they decide to bring in as backup and just like San Jose, they could, there's plenty of backups available in they. And it's not that it wouldn't be too hard to find someone at the deadline or wherever for probably a decent decent price to come in and uh, be your backup. So I think that along with defensive depth, and you brought that up, I think it's a good point. And to me, it's not the biggest concern because Vegas is such an explosive team on offense. Excuse me. And we know what they're going to do on offense. I think that they can probably score themselves out of some jams and there's a very, they're in a great division to win in the Pacific. I think they're well suited to take on any team in the Pacific. Now where the defense, just like the goaltending really concerns me comes playoff time. And I, and we saw that last year. I think that Vegas is a very good team scoring wise. Goaltending-wise, they're pretty good with Marc-Andre Fleury. It comes down to defense and what will that defensive core do when the—and I think it's inevitable they're going to make the playoffs just based off what I've seen from Vegas so far. They've had a stinker or two, but, you know, it's early in the season. From when everybody is on and playing well like they were last night, they can beat anybody, and they're going to make the playoffs. It's just a matter of— how far will goaltending and defense take them? Because the scoring isn't going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So it'll be interesting to see if how long they, they stick with Subban because I'll tell you, they were banking on him bouncing back this year, and it has only been one game, but the results were not good. I mean, when you put your backup goalie in, you want him to play the full game, and you want him to give your team a chance to win. And he absolutely didn't do that. So we'll see how he plays, you know, the next few starts he has. But so far, not a great start for Malcolm Subban. But I agree with you. I mean, the way the Vegas Golden Knights play is they play this aggressive, you know, speed and skill game. And, you know, a lot of times they are trading chances with you. But they can also be very good defensively in a situation where they need to be they're well coached you know that, that is cliche and they've got Marc-Andre Fleury so definitely a team that we both have winning the division it's just a matter of how far will they go in the playoffs and how are they going to answer some of these roster questions
1: yeah I think it's that's the real only question how far will Vegas go and especially considering the central division and I, yes i have said the pacific division will is will be better than what a lot of people have been thinking it was going to be i still think there's a good chance the central division could take one or even both of those wild card spots and it could be like Cal- what happened to Calgary last year he ended up facing a team that's much better than their record indicates
0: yeah Yeah, so we'll see. So let's move on to our next team, and that is the Arizona Coyotes.
1: Well, Arizona, you know, I've been defending the Coyotes on this show for two (laughs) years now.
0: (laughs) Two years! They're a tough one to figure out, my friend. They really are.
1: I know, but... Here's the thing. I wanna say that maybe just maybe, but at the same time, every time I've said that, they don't make the playoffs. So I, this year I'm gonna say they aren't gonna make the playoffs. But I here's where I'll come praising the coyotes. I think even though the record says three, two, and one, the scoring mm-hmm. was an issue off the start of the season. You and I talked about that in our last attempt at making this episode and I'll bring it up again, just to reiterate. Look, the Coyotes the first couple games they could not score at all. Uh, Even if it was a soccer net, I bet they couldn't score. They just (laughs) couldn't score. And their defense was good. You like the the, uh, metaphor there? I try to mix things up now and again.
0: (laughs) Well, they did get off like they're not off to the worst start. I mean, they're not under 500. They're doing okay. The biggest problem right now is the huge loss of Nicholas Chalmerson out for an extended period of time with an injury. And, you know, really, he, he is a rock on that back end for the Coyotes, you know. And for me, he's been like an unsung hero really his whole career. Just with the Blackhawks when they were an elite team in the league, and even with the Coyotes, he's just solid year after year. You know he's gonna miss about three months. That's a long time, and that's a long time for a Coyotes team that doesn't really have the depth to replace him.
1: No, you're right. Elmer uh, Sin on the uh, Coyotes was a real key piece on that back end. And since i I've been trying to support the Coyotes the last couple years, uh, I try to tune into their games when I can and. As you mentioned, he's a bit of an unsung hero. He does a lot of the little things that really support a young team in Arizona, and him being out for three months certainly is not good news for the Coyotes. Do I think it's a devastating blow? No, I don't think so for the Coyotes, but it certainly hurts a lot for the team, and... The question is, how how consistent is Arizona going to be this year? Because Arizona, the last couple of years, the problem hasn't been, can they score goals, can they save goals, can they defend? The question has been consistency. A prime example is last year, it's very similar to the season before that. Arizona, they, they, they were a good team in the second half, but in the first half, they really struggled out of the gate, and we saw that last year and it they struggled just bad enough in the first half to miss out on the playoffs and if even if they keep going at just around 500 for the first half of the season that can really be all you need for the first half of the season to get into the playoffs because by the time the second half of the season starts rolling around it'll it, Elmerson will hopefully be back the coyotes are have always been, in my opinion, a bit of a second half team. I mm. think, I think that the Coyotes love to turn it on when the when the heat goes up. I don't see that changing this year. But if they can, if they can keep around five hundred or just above five hundred, I think they'll be in a good position to make a run at a playoff spot this year.
0: Yeah, I think. I agree with that. I think the first half is huge for them because they had such a poor first half last year and they had an excellent second half. If they were just a little better in that first half, if they won some of those one-goal games, they would have been in the playoffs. And who knows what they would have done. You know, you, you can't say. You don't really know how they'd play because they haven't been to the playoffs in a few years. Again, I think... The, the thing with the Coyotes, you know, much like the Montreal Canadiens, is can they score enough goals to win these close games? And so far this season, you know, we mentioned their record. They're 3-2-1. 16 goals for, 11 goals against. So they do have a plus-five goal differential. But it, <laughs> it's, it's a slippery slope for the Coyotes. And, you know, you brought in Phil Kessel, and so far, he's off to a decent start. But for me, I, I think the biggest problem is when you look at their top six, it just it just simply doesn't compare to other team's top six, like at all.
1: Uh, no, it, and Arizona's kind of been like that for a while. I think that Arizona's top three is really good. The uh, second line is okay. And I think on a lot of teams, that second line would probably be a third line. But Arizona, I think, has done well with what they've got. And I'd really like to see Arizona do something this year. It may not be the most popular opinion, but I don't really want to see the Coyotes leave the desert. I think that Arizona can be a good hockey market, just like Vegas has been. I think that having a winning team out in Arizona would help a lot. And I I don't want to see any team move. Arizona, I think a winning team would make a world of difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the most important thing for them is, like you said, just to stay in the race, you know, don't fall out. And if they can't... Absolutely. If, they're, if they end up struggling in the first half. I mean, there's all these teams that have improved. You know, we talked about the Ducks and the Oilers. You know, the standings don't forecast like they did last year. I mean, if you take a look at the standings last year, you know, really you only had three or four teams fighting for those final two card spots. I, I think this year... That number is probably up to five or six, maybe seven. So that that's troubling for them. And then you've got improvement within the division. We talked about Anaheim getting younger, new coach in Edmonton, new system. And they're playing well so far. So it's not like you don't have that kind of competition around you. So I think that's what concerns me more with Arizona is – the teams in the division getting better, you know, except the L.A. Kings. Oh, the LA we'll Kings.
1: get to them. <laughs> we'll get to them.
0: All right. So I want I want to do two things here before we wrap up. I want you to fill in the blank here. Arizona finishes with blank number of points this season.
1: I think they, uh, right off the top of my head, I'm going to say 86, 88 points, somewhere in that range
0: okay now last Phil Kessel scores blank goals this season
1: 27 goals
0: all right not bad look he's not a 30 goal
1: he's a 30 goal scorer but just based on the team around him and look it's still a young team they're still learning they're still growing I think Phil will have a good year I don't think he'll quite get the 30.
0: yeah i I, I think that's I think that's probably where I expect them to finish and him to finish this year. I mean, he's not playing with the players he played with on the Penguins or teams before that. So it's not going to be as easy for him to pop in 30 or more. But anyway, let's move on to another team. And I did mention they were improved and they finished just below the Coyotes last season. The Vancouver Canucks. A couple big moves, first of all. You recently named your new captain, Bo Horvat, a uh, full year from Quinn Hughes. So far, he's been pretty exciting out there. Adam Godette made the team. Nice young player in their system, and they waived Sven Barchi. Of course, bringing in Tyler Myers, five years, six mil, and acquiring JT Miller for really not much a minor league goalie and a draft pick. Of course, Oscar Fantenberg, and Jordy Ben to kind of solidify their defense. And I don't know about you, but early on in the season, I actually quite like what I'm seeing from Vancouver so far.
1: I completely agree. To touch on J.T. Miller, it's been a great acquisition early on. He's got eight points. He leads the team in points. He's got four goals to complement that. And he's looked really good in uh, Vancouver, a solid center. And Vancouver... Needed a bit of center depth, and I think JT Miller certainly brings that for them. The Canucks' young guns have played really well to start the season as well. Elias Pedersen isn't quite as hot as he was to start last year, but that would have been almost an impossible feat. But he's been very solid to start the season. He's got a couple goals, and he's got four assists in six games, so a point a game right now. Edler's been good. Besser's been good. I think that here's the thing, Vancouver, I think they've moved out a lot of their older players, they've gotten rid of some of those tougher contracts, yeah, they've still got a couple around but overall, I think that Vancouver is going in a great direction, you and I talked about that last year, I think that the youth movement may finally be paying off in Vancouver, I don't know if it's a playoff year this year But I really like what I'm seeing from Vancouver early on. I think that if they don't make the playoffs next year, I think there's a really good chance that they make it next year. I think Vancouver's done a lot of good. I think that Jim Benning doesn't quite get as much credit as he deserves for bringing in guys like JT Miller for pretty much nothing when you consider what they gave up. Get drafting guys like Pedersen, and having a solid core to build in Vancouver.
0: Yeah, um, and I think that's the expectation as well. I mean, it's kind of, if you make the playoffs, that's great. And I think that the management will kind of evaluate as the season goes on, you know, do we need to make a move and improve the roster? Because certainly they could do that. Or are we kind of content to you know, keep improving year after year and be a big threat to make the playoffs next year. I think the biggest question, much like a lot of these teams that we talk about, is that bottom six. I mean, Michael Furland, Brandon Sutter, Jake Vertanen, Tim Schaller, J.B. Beagle, Tyler Mott. You know, not the best. It, it's better. You did sign Furland. Vertanen is a bit of a wild card. Sutter, you know, as much as he's criticized, he's a solid kind of third-line center, and then you've got Tim Schaller, Jay Beagle, and Tyler Mott. The defense, I would say, is actually one of their, their strong points now. I think they've got a good goaltending situation with the kid D. Pietro coming up. Also, Demko is now playing. Uh, in place of the injured Jakob Markström. And Markström, in my opinion, is, is one of the more underrated goalies in the league. He faces a lot of shots, and has really developed into a solid netminder. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really happy to see that this team is starting to go in the right direction with what they're building. But with that said, I, you know, I don't think they're making the playoffs this year. Would I love to see it, and would I love to be wrong? Absolutely.
1: Well, I don't see any reason why Vancouver won't have a plus 500 record this year. I think they'll be in a similar situation to where Arizona was last year where they're getting better, their players are get, are certainly looking good and more and more NHL ready by the day, but they just aren't quite there yet and I think they will struggle at times.
0: All right, so let's move on to the next team in our oh, season boy. preview.
1: Well, let me flip the blank, fill in the blank on you before we get into it. Oh,
0: okay, okay.
1: The LA Kings will have the blank overall pick. <laughs>
0: uh, well, based on what's happened the last few years, usually the team that tanks doesn't get rewarded, so I'm going to say they have the fifth overall pick.
1: All right, I'm going to say third or fourth. I think... I actually but think
0: even if they even if they have a top five pick, you're getting a darn good player. I mean, this is a oh, great absolutely. draft this year. So
1: I agree completely. I think LA's actually playing a bit better than I thought they would. Now that's not saying much. They're two five and O, but I honestly thought they'd only have one win at this point. But the uh, Kings have been shut out in the last couple games. They really haven't looked good. I've been able to catch a couple of their late night games. They got shut out by Buffalo. They got shut out by Carolina. They haven't looked good at all.
0: Well, we we kind of talked about the Ducks already. So you you guys know our feelings on the Ducks. So let's skip ahead to the Edmonton Oilers before we talk about the Kings. And let's talk about what we expected versus what we're seeing. Because I think that's an important contrast to make. You know, I don't think there was a lot of expectations with, you know, the general manager change, the head coach change. Um, You know, you did some little things to improve the roster. You know, Ken Holland has really taken, I thought, a, a good kind of slow approach to this team. He doesn't want to rush anything. He wants to see where this team can go. I think he made a great choice in hiring Dave Tippett, who has really uh, developed a good system for the players. And you've had some nice, pleasant surprises. I mean, you knew James Neal would be better, but did you know he'd be this good already? Probably not. He's off to a great start. You know, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen seems like a good tandem. And how about this kid, Ethan Bear? I mean... He has been really impressive for me as a guy who has always kind of been intriguing for them in their system. But now you're talking about maybe this kid is a top four defenseman in the NHL.
1: Yeah, it's quite probable. Uh, uh, Ethan Bear has been very good early on this season, a couple points, he, but he's looked much m- more solid on the back end. And I think that's what Edmonton's been looking for. They've been looking for a solid, young defensive player. And Ethan Bear really fits the bill. As you mentioned, he's been in the system for a little bit now. And the one thing I will say about Edmonton's uh, system is, despite all the the, uh, jokes about getting the number one pick every year and not doing anything, I think overall Edmonton's farm system and development system isn't that bad. I don't think they're top in the league by any stretch but they've they've turned out some pretty good players and yeah I think Ethan Baer has the potential to be another one of those players and he's just as I mentioned he's just 22 years old he's coming up on restricted free agency in the in the uh, summer next year and I think that if he continues playing the way he is he'll be due for a good pay raise
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's kind of where they're leaning towards is it seems like this kid's really earned a spot and, you know, might be much better than they thought he was going to be because he's a great story of a kid who has just kept working hard and kind of kept improving. And he hasn't kind of let that overall goal out of his mind. You know, his overall goal was to make the Oilers and to be a regular for them, And now it seems like he could be a whole lot more. I mean, he was drafted in the fifth round, third pick in the fifth round in the 2015 draft. And, you know, he's really worked hard on every aspect of his game. And now, you know, what, what you're really trying to see is what do you have in this player? Is he a top four? Is he a top six? But either way, I think if he's any of those things, that is a positive for the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Well, look, he he's playing top two minutes right now in Edmonton. I think that's the best you can hope for for Ethan Bear. He's looked pretty good with Darnell Nurse. Do I think he'll stay at the top two? I don't think he'll stay there through the entire season. But as a young player, really your your top goal, besides putting up points and whatnot, is making it hard for management to send you down. And I think he's done just that. He's going to make, if they ever want to send it down, he's going to make it tough on them to do so.
0: Oh, for sure. And, And, you know, not only do you have, you know, a pretty solid defense right now, but you've got a little bit of depth up front. Obviously, you have Connor McDavid, and he's off to an unbelievable start. Did you see that goal he scored against the Flyers the other day? That was, that was something else.
1: That's something Connor McDavid. Uh, I like what someone said on Twitter. Connor McDavid right now is making the NHL look like a beer league. <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> as, as you mentioned with the Flyers goal, they you can make a good case for that. Connor McDavid is doing Connor McDavid things. And... You know if Edmonton was making the playoffs the last couple of years I think not that people aren't paying attention to Connor McDavid I think the hype around Connor McDavid would be there more.
0: Oh my goodness. You know how much I want to see this kid in the playoffs again. Like really badly. And Drysdale too. I don't think Drysdale gets enough talk for just how much of a stud he is. I mean he is turned into an absolute force for them. Leon Dreisaitl, the German.
1: He's so good. And, and you know, if Edmonton wasn't as bad as they were last year, Connor, I mentioned Connor McDavid getting more attention, but Leon Dreisaitl would have gotten a lot more attention. He was so good.
0: Yeah, so I think I'm really impressed by the start for this Oilers team. Uh, I think, you know, if they continue to play the way they are and they continue to get... You know, solid goaltending. You know, Adam Larson's injured right now. He'll be back soon enough. And then you add him to that defense. The defense gets even better. I think I do have some questions about the bottom six, like I do some other teams. But, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of time for them to kind of flip things around. We'll see what they do. Maybe they are interested in a particular trade. You know, it'll be really interesting to see what direction and puts this team in this year Are you kind of go, just going to ride it out With the roster you have Or will you maybe add to the roster So we'll see But I have to admit It is very nice talking about this team In a positive way For once it seems
1: Yeah and It, it feels like The last couple of years You and I were always critiquing Shirelli And oh, what God. is he doing <laughs> What What is the team doing They've got so much potential, yet they waste it every year. Maybe, just maybe, this is the year. And for Edmonton fans, you, you certainly hope so.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So the Edmonton Oilers are off to a great start. Will it continue? Yes. I mean, we'll see. Do you want to play some fill-in-the-blanks here with Edmonton? Oh, sure. All right. You and want I'll, me to ask you or No, I'll ask you and, okay, and then I'll
1: okay. i okay. Connor McDavid <laughs> will get blank number of points this year. Mm.
0: I'm gonna say
1: 130. Oh alright. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little lower and say one fifteen. And I'm gonna say one fifteen. Because, I think Connor McDavid may end up missing a couple games with injury. I hope he doesn't, but I I always gotta account for injuries when I'm making these types of predictions. The NHL is so physical, even nowadays. You gotta account for some injuries, but I certainly think Connor McDavid's gonna get over a hundred points. Not, not a doubt in my mind. He's barring a major injury, he's gonna get over a hundred points. But I, I would love to see. your prediction come true because I have Connor McDavid on my fantasy team and 130 points would uh, go a long way.
0: (laughs) Oh, very nice. Yeah, I think he's had three straight 100-point years. You know, the best one was last year at 116. And what you have to remember about McDavid is he has a tendency to not get a lot of points very early in the season, and then he really revs it up kind of down the stretch and as the season goes on but this season he's already got 17 points in 7 games absolutely ridiculous this it, man is not human
1: <laughs> as i mentioned he makes the nhl look like beer league and the, you know the crazy thing is leon Saddle's right behind him he's only 2 points behind him
0: yeah yeah <laughs> and, it, and I'll if tell you look i don't think any team wants to match up with those two in the playoffs
1: no. And when those two step on if they put those two together for three on three overtime
0: They will. They will
1: you know they will. And i would not want to face them if I were a defender.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we talked about them briefly, but let's finish off by touching on the LA Kings. Plenty of uh, youth on the Kings this year, but you know, mixed results early on still a lot of long term contracts that are haunting this team to this day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. uh Onze Kopitar 10 million through 2023-2024 20, 20, just to name one off the top of my head. Ilya Kovalchuk, that contract has really not worked the way the uh, LA Kings were hoping They were hoping that he would be able to uh rekindle some of the magic that he had when he left the NHL it really hasn't worked out so far and that $6.25 million that they've committed to him hurts a lot right now Drew Doughty signed long term $11 million the, uh, the cap situation those long term deals really slow down and rebuild
0: yeah exactly and I think probably the most interesting one we haven't mentioned him yet because you know, he's not nearly as good as he used to be as Jonathan quick. And there's been talk of potentially buying him out or sending him down to the minors because right now he is not really helping this team at all. And the amount of dollars on his contract is absolutely massive for a guy who is often injured, past his prime, and, you know, doesn't have the same consistency he used to have. But I think what what Rob Blake should be looking at this year is, you know, can you move any of these guys? Can Is someone interested in a Tyler Toffoli? I mean, I think teams would be interested in him.
1: I oh, think yeah. teams would
0: be interested in an Alec Martinez. You know, maybe you can get a team to take three million and then you take the other three of Kovalchuk's contract. I think you have to be creative because I don't think there's any team in the NHL whose long-term contracts are killing them as much as this LA Kings team.
1: Yeah, the only other one I could think about is Minnesota, but I don't think it's mm, quite as yeah. bad as as LA because LA has more bad long-term contracts in Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota, it's really only two or three, but L.A., I, I named four right off the top of my head. And I think that L.A. is going to have some tough decisions this year. What do they want to do with Toffoli? He's a free agent at the end of this season. Do they want to try and resign him, or do they want to let him go, get that cap space? Do they want to trade him? These are tough decisions, and you you don't envy a Rob Blake at all.
0: No, no. and uh, You know, a lot of times you can be critical of kind of new GMs, and he's only been in the job for a little more than a year now, but you have to remember that it's a learning process for him and for all of them when they're new to the position. I mean, you look at Steve Iserman and what he became versus what he started as. You look at Joe Sackick, made some very questionable moves in those first couple years, but has since been regarded as one of the best GMs in the game. So, you know, it'll be really interesting to see kind of the evolution of Rob Blake as a GM. And I I can tell you for a fact, he is emotionally invested in this Kings team. He played for the Kings. He wants to see this team be good. You know, they've got a pretty good farm system coming up. It's one of the better ones. But remember, that's prospects. Prospects are prospects. They might be good. You really don't know. I think he definitely wants this team to be better than they are right now. And remember, you do have some pieces. Like, it's not like this is a situation where you're like the Minnesota Wild. I mean, you're in a much better spot than they are. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see what they do. Not necessarily this year, but the years after. Because that's when some of these long-term contracts start to end. And they'll have a lot of cap flexibility and players to build around.
1: Yeah, I really agree with what you said. I think you and I are both in agreement that L.A., will be last in the Pacific Division. I don't think they're bad enough to be the worst team in the league. I think they're slightly better than they were last year. They brought in a couple of younger players, and I think they'll be a little healthier this year. I think that'll help. I think that Jack Campbell, but definitely a bit of an upgrade over what Jonathan Quick has done thus far. I think Jack Campbell can give them a little bit more stability in the crease. I think they'll be slightly better, but they'll still get a top five pick. And as you and I talked about earlier, that's not a bad thing this year.
0: No, for sure. So I think that's kind of their focus is, you know, let's try and be as competitive as we can be. Let's try and showcase a lot of these players that we could potentially trade as much as possible. And let's make sure we scout as much as we can and try and nail that you know, top pick that you're almost assuredly getting in the draft. So, yeah, the I think the LA Kings, it'll probably take a few more years, but I do think this team will be relevant again, and I do believe in Rob Blake. And, you know, you look at the moves he's made, I don't think he's made any bad moves so far. He's been very cautious. Obviously, you know, you can't just pick up the phone and get a team to take like a Dustin Brown for example, but, you know, I think he's been very cautious to not trade away some of his younger players. You know, there was talk about, you know, maybe trading away some of them, but he has stood with what he's got. And I'm, again, I'm really interested to see what happens with this team in the next few years. But again, with that being said, I've got them finishing at the bottom of the division and uh, hopefully they can move some of those players and create a bit of cap flexibility.
1: Yeah. And I think cap flexibility will help them a lot this year. And in the rebuild, when you're rebuilding, you want that cap flexibility. And if Rob Blake can move some of those contracts, particularly if he can move some of the big ones without retaining any salary, that'll be a huge win. Even if he gets basically nothing in return.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, get get a team to take half the contract. You take the other half. You've got to do kind of whatever it takes here to create some flexibility for this Kings team going forward.
1: Yeah, I think L.A. is slowly heading in the right direction. I think that's something that a lot of people and I think you and I can agree on here is it'll be a, it'll still be a little bit, but they're
0: mm-hmm.
1: they'll get there. They'll get there.
0: All right, so before we wrap up this episode, there was some news. Nico Heischer, huge long-term extension, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Seven years, 50.75 million. Initial thoughts?
1: Oh, I like Nico Heischer. I've mentioned that before, but I find that kind of an intriguing for uh, New Jersey, particularly with how the season has started for them, they a lot of people, and I'll put myself in that category, you can go back and listen to our Metropolitan Division preview, and I th- I'm pretty sure both of us had New Jersey much higher than uh, well, he where. He
0: did, yeah.
1: And there is the potential for them to turn it around, but my, my big critique besides Isher's inconsistencies and we'll get to that in a moment is uh where's the room to sign taylor hall you only have 4.8 million dollars in protected cap space now according to cap friendly i just had to pull up that tweet it took me a moment but Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know 4.8 million dollars in cap space is not going to sign you taylor hall even if you can get a lot of that on a uh, signing bonus i don't Taylor Hall is going to want more than more than 4.8 million dollars a year. So you're going to have to oh. move somebody. And oh,
0: okay, let's let's forecast this real quick. So mm-hmm. you look look back to last summer what some of these players were getting and you have a young guy who's in the prime of his career, really hardly any injury concerns and he gets to pick which team he plays for. I would have to guess that on the open market, this guy's going to get in the neighborhood of 11 and a half, 12 or more. Yeah,
1: I would absolutely agree with that. I, He's going to get somewhere in the market of over $11 million. And depending on where he wants to play and what he wants to do, he could probably get somewhere over $12 million if he plays his cards right. And... You know, the questions have are, are, has already been asked, and I think it'll continue to be asked if New Jersey continues to struggle, is where does Taylor Hall go? Because Taylor Hall has made it pretty clear that, look, he doesn't want to play for a team that's been struggling. And New Jersey, I don't think it's given him it much of a reason to stick around right now. Mm-hmm. And, look, if you're New Jersey and you're Ray Shiro. You're not. You're probably not going to resign him based off what he's seen right now. You're going to have to move. You have to move Taylor Hall. You got to get something in return. And I think that uh, New Jersey could get a, an awful lot at the deadline in return for Taylor Hall.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's going to be really interesting. I, th- I think if I had to guess, I don't think he's resigning. I just think that. You know, he's been on Edmonton, he's been on New Jersey, and he didn't really have control over either of those things, right? You know, he gets drafted to Edmonton, and, you know, they had a few decent years, but really did not have any help around him at all, had some injuries, and ultimately Peter Shirelli traded him. And then you get traded to New Jersey, and really you kind of have a nice – kind of surprise run with that team. And really, it's been a very inconsistent team since he got there. So, you know, think about his situation. You know, he's 27 years old. He's in the prime of his career. And he has the ability to pick where he goes and which team he signs with. And yeah. it's not I, – I don't think the Devils have enough to convince him. I mean, yeah, you've got Jack Hughes and Subban. He's sheer sure. – You know, Blackwood, you've got some good pieces, but, you know, is that enough to convince him to not sign with other teams? I don't think so.
1: Not that I want to make an early prediction or anything, but I kind of do. I really see, I could really see him playing in Colorado. And I know that would be really unfair based on what Colorado (laughs) has already. Oh, no. But, come on, (laughs) Colorado's got... Currently has $7.3 million in cap space. they are towards the bottom of the league. Sorry, towards the top of the league in cap space available. And if you're Taylor Hall, you want to play for a winner. And c- come on, Colorado's got a great core there. <laughs> you and I have talked about Colorado before we talked about him last week. You got McKinnon, Ranton, and Cadres had a decent start there. You've got you got Johnson Cole. I could go on and on about what Colorado's got, and I think if you're uh, Joe Sackick, he's a pretty savvy GM. You could probably pull some strings and get him to come play for the Colorado Avalanche.
0: If that happens, so help me God!
1: Look, they're going to become. Can you
0: imagine them with? They're already good enough as is, and then you just you, you just get Taylor Hall on a long term contract. Oh my goodness!
1: But but here's the thing: looking at the rest of the rest of the teams, and this isn't this is barring any free agent signings and moves and whatnot that will happen over the next eight nine months between now and free agency. But just looking at the uh, teams that have the potential cap space right now to sign taylor hall for 11 million plus dollars a year to me there's only two teams that really stand out on teams that could that would suit him because he wants to win cups he's made that very clear Mm -hmm. Uh, i mentioned colorado i think winnipeg is in there as well but they're a, a million more closer to the cap than colorado and anaheim's in there too i don't think he'd go to anaheim because no Look, Anaheim has had a good start. You and I have talked about this, but they're not in a win now mode. I think Colorado is in that position. If not this year, they will be next year. And that's what I'm looking for if I'm looking if I'm Taylor Hall, who can I play with right now that can not only get me a lot of points? and Colorado mm. would do that for him, but who can <laughs> win me a cup, right? And, right yeah. I think he could make a real good case for Colorado. Personally, Ottawa has the exact same amount of cap space. He Uh could come right up here. (laughs) He'll only come here in NHL 20. (laughs) He isn't coming here, but I think I could really see him going to Colorado. I don't know about you. I just got a good feeling about that right now.
0: eh? Mm.
1: And and if I get this Look, if I get this right next summer, you and I are going to go nuts. I'm going to say I called it before Bob McKenzie and and Ranch. Yeah. (laughs) And you and I have kind of got... Look, you and I have kind of done that before. You and I have called some pretty crazy things before. (laughs) You and I float these things, and sometimes they come true.
0: All right. Well, I think I will say this before we finish the show tonight. Um. The thing about Taylor Hall is that you, you, see, you looked at the teams that have the cap space right now, but in my opinion, every single team is going to do everything they can to create that cap space, to just give them a chance. And, you know, I think teams will be in contact with him. You know, are we in or are we out of the running? Because if we're out what? of the running, you know, we're going to make use of that salary elsewhere. I'm gonna float one to you right now that that I also think is interesting, and I think would be a really good fit for Mr. Taylor Hall, mm-hmm. Carolina.
1: Ooh, that would be a good fit for him. And here's the thing: I think we're gonna we're gonna know in sooner rather than later which teams are gonna be in the running for Taylor Hall. I think this is, and I. I agree with you. I think Carolina could be a great fit for them. They've got some great... They're they're like uh, Colorado of the East, if you think about it. They may not... Except they don't have Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. But if you think about it, they're a great young team. They're on the upswing. They... Just looking at cap friendly right now, they've got $1.7 million in cap space. But as you mentioned, if the uh, Hurricanes contact Mr. Taylor Hall and say... Are we in? And he says, yeah, you're in the running. Well, then that changes a lot. Hey, You make those moves to, to free up some cap space. And I think we, just based off moves we'll see over the especially particularly towards free agency, we'll know. Even if they don't publicly say which teams are in the running, we'll have a good idea.
0: Yeah. All right, well. This,
1: this could be very fun similar. Fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Another Look, fun... Th- season preview episode
1: This is going to be a great season. We're going to I think we're going to have lots of deals and we've already got lots of news. We've got some surprises. This is going to be a great NHL season.
0: Absolutely. So thanks again to Matt for joining me as always and thanks again to the National Podcast Network. You can check them out on Twitter at nationalpodnet and you can also Find them in your browser at nationalpodcast.network. You can check out ours as well as many other great podcasts. You can also find us pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud. Just look for the red, white, and blue logo. For Matt, this is Max signing off. Enjoy the games. We'll be back at it with you hopefully next week with our final preview looking at the Atlantic Division.